episode 108 of the Barry Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Welcome back to the Barry Capital Startup Sales Podcast. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing 10 years of sales motion with Lauren Alhadif, the SVP of North American Sales at DocuSign. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks very much for having me. So, you know, to kick us off today, I thought, you know, you could just share a bit about your background. Sure. So I've, um, I grew up in, in the software as a service marketplace and, um, after graduating college, I went to Occidental College, which is down in, in uh, Los Angeles, moved back to my hometown of Seattle and um, started working for a software as a service organization there and came up through the sales ranks. And then um, in, a, in 2008, moved over to DocuSign. Um, I was the 17th employee at the company and um, you know, have helped grow the company over the last nine years to the organization DocuSign is today and, and uh, have the, the, the privilege to lead our North American uh, sales and go-to-market efforts um, uh, across all of DocuSign. Excellent. And what was your sort of rise through the ranks at DocuSign? Uh, so I came in as, as a director of sales in the company. Like I said, I was a 17th employee, so it was very, very small at the time. I inherited a, a team of about four people. Um, and, uh, and through that have sort of created an organizational design to scale with the growth of the company over the last nine years. So um, the organization today is about 2,100, maybe a little over 2,100 employees. My organization in North America is about 600 employees. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, the last thing, you know, before we start on the topic today, we like to ask all of our podcast guests this. Um, could you share one thing about yourself that no one listening to this podcast would know about you? Sure. So I would, um, I think a lot of people that live in the Pacific Northwest uh, have a tendency to get out of the weather and travel to, um, uh, to very warm places like Mexico or like Hawaii. And uh, especially in the winter when the winter days are very long and it's very drizzly and wet. Uh, and cold here in Seattle. And actually, I am a diehard salmon fisherman. So uh, when the weather is not so nice and in the winter months, rather than escaping to Hawaii, which, by the way, I still love to do, um, I have a tendency to go up to um, uh, into British Columbia and into Alaska fishing. And it's where I love to spend, if I have time um, to myself and time to get away, that's what I, that's what I love to do most. Oh, that's awesome. So have you gotten up or do you have a first trip planned for this upcoming season? You know, I actually have already been. I've, wow. I've been, <laughs> I went about a month ago to, uh, to Sitka, Alaska. Oh, and, awesome. Um, it is, uh, yeah, for those that have not been to Alaska, it is a very, very serene, untouched and special, uh, special place. It so has been a, on my bucket well list. Oh, worth the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a special place for sure. Worthwhile. That's incredible. Uh, so, you know, the last sort of fun fact that I can't help but share with our listeners is the fact that uh, 
both of us are named Lauren and it's both spelled L-O-R-E-N. <laughs> you know, I, I think you may be my first and last guest uh, that has the exact same name as me. So I'm ex- extra excited to have you on. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's jump in. To our topic today, I kind of wanted to lay out the structure for our listeners. Um, given your 10 years of experience at DocuSign in sales, I thought we could sort of discuss these four key topics and how you managed each of them from, and how you managed and thought about them from the early days until today. Um, the four topics are, are pipeline, pricing, product, and presentation. When I say presentation, it's mostly a presentation to your management team, managing expectations, things like that. Um, so anyway, with, with all that in mind, let's start by talking about pipeline. You know, when the, when it comes to the sales pipeline, I want to discuss how you guys thought about it in year one versus year 10. Um, how does it differ? Should it differ? You know, maybe it's just some individual parts are changing, but I'd love to just have you walk us through, you know, early days, you come in, you've got a team of four. How were you thinking about the pipeline? Yeah, so it's a good question. And I think, um, the way I look at it is just it's sort of been a growth and evolution of how an organization thinks about pipeline. Um, a lot of times smaller organizations don't really, uh, they're com- especially in early stages, they're coming up with more conceptual ways of who the buyers are, how those buyers interact with the organization or the sales team uh, or the website, you know, the buying channel. Um, and I remember very vividly in the early days with DocuSign, there was a fair amount of demand for the product uh, and, and it was enough to sort of feed the existing sales capacity that we had on board. And when things are going really, really well, it's very, very easy to hear our salespeople, all 10 of our salespeople. And um, uh, what, what, what happens over time is you start realizing that, that you have to grow the business beyond the demand that the marketplace has for the business. If you just wait for people to come to you your business will grow at the clip that the market will allow. And it was very clear that probably after the third or fourth year, um, we realized that we needed to continue to accelerate our growth moving forward and the amount of organic demand that we were building for ourselves wasn't strong enough to support it. So as a result of that, we became much more prescriptive around looking at the pipeline, evaluating how much pipeline we needed or the coverage ratios, for example, that you need to be over and above, uh, you, you know, your, your bookings or your revenue plan for any given period of measurement. And, um, and not only that, but then starting to be more prescriptive about how you're managing your close rates and your uh, uh, sales cycles and all of the other things that all play into giving a really clear, accurate, and predictable uh, perspective of how you can evaluate and forecast the business. Uh, so I know that's probably a lot to consume, but I think that the, the core message there would be uh, the faster as the faster the organization begins to measure understand the the company's pipeline the faster it will be uh, the faster it will have an opportunity to, to accelerate growth potential beyond initial expectation uh, I look back and I really think we, we should have started evaluating pipeline even mm-hmm. before we did um, and uh, so that that would be the way I that that's sort of the mm-hmm. high level that's how I think about it Yep, sure. And so, you know, to just to dig in a bit on sort of evaluating your pipeline, are there some 
best practices in terms of how to do that in the most efficient way or some maybe just some things for people to be aware of or ask themselves questions? So uh, specifically about how to manage pipeline and grow pipeline? Yeah, yes. exactly. So there's a couple of different things that I think we've done really well, which is looking at the pipeline sources. So rather than just looking at the total amount of pipeline and your close rate, looking at how you're actually creating pipeline. Where's the pipeline coming from? Is it coming inbound through SEM, SEO, um, uh, and coming into an inbound sales qualification channel? Uh, how much of that is actually being, and or marketing, how much of it is being created by outbound uh, efforts? So individuals that are maybe hired by the company to do outbound prospecting. How much of is it, is it being created by your install base? So especially in a software as a service uh, market, you're going to have customers that likely will have more that you, you, you part of the revenue stream, and you see it with SaaS companies, both large and small, they have an install base, which is incredibly important to help grow that, that, uh, that revenue run rate over time. And so that's one of the things that I think I've been really, really careful about monitoring is how much of that our existing pipeline is coming from our install base. And then another ex great example of it would be, um, you know, the, the business development channel. So as an organization, how are you ma managing and monitoring how much install base uh, or net new pipeline is being created? through a channel, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's a reseller channel, a referral channel, whatever that is. You know, with all that in mind, how are you guys, how well were you interlocked with the marketing team to ensure that they were targeting the kind of pipeline you guys were looking to build and a quality pipeline and how you were yeah, defining got it. that? Yeah, great, great question. I, I think it's been, uh, it's ebbed and flowed over the years. Uh, the, the key to making this work is really strong, healthy communication with marketing. Um, and I would say at DocuSign, that always ebbs and flows a lot of times due to, um, you know, personnel changes or belief systems. And especially as you, as you create more rigor around the pipeline. And like I said earlier, who's creating that pipeline. Once you create a measurement system, people feel very accountable and you'll notice that people will, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll reach out and grasp on different measurement systems that might help bolster one point of view versus another. When you have really strong communication between a sales and marketing uh, organization, a lot of times what you'll find is um, a very, very common vernacular or, or uh, uh, language that both organizations speak to one another around how they're being measured. And so uh, where I've seen us be most successful is when we've been very, very crisp Sales and marketing have not only landed on the language we're going to speak to one another in terms of how we measure success, but actually agreeing on the system of measurement as well. Um, and I'll tell you, there, there are times in our organization where we, you, know, you meet with sales and marketing, and for the first half of the meeting, you spend more time debating the data and understanding what's right and whose report is right and which system was pulled from. And then you're only left with 30 more minutes to actually decide on how you act. Uh, what, what you might think about, consider, or change to have a better impact on the business. So the minute mm -hmm. sales and marketing start speaking the same language and using the same systems to measure, the faster both organizations can actually make an impact. Mm -hmm. So I think this probably goes without saying, but you would fundamentally believe that sales and marketing need to be aligned, whether you're a seed stage company or a 2000 person company, right? A hundred percent. And by the way, what I would also add is 
it's so much harder to do as you get larger in scale. So as a small okay. company, I remember when I started, we had, we had a head of demand generation, and he and I worked very, very closely together. We spoke the same language. We used the same reports. But it was incredibly easy. The organization itself was fairly small. Um, as you mm -hmm. get larger, it's equally as important. And it's arguably more important because the organization is smaller, uh, is, is larger, right. but it becomes higher stakes. So not only mm -hmm. is it harder because there's so many people to coordinate, but it actually is, in some respects, even more important because the revenue run rates and stakes are much higher in a larger organization. Right. And how, you know, what was the frequency, if you could think back to early days as you were starting to get aligned with marketing, are you guys talking and meeting daily? Are you meeting weekly? You know, what's the cadence that works well, you think? I, myself and the head of marketing were meeting weekly, but I would say that our okay. sales leadership team in the early days, uh, my management team, the marketing management team, people that were doing program, running programs, you know, doing Google AdWords, you know, SEO and SEM spend, uh, people that mm -hmm. were doing testimonials and finding, um, you know, trying to do case studies. They'd reach out to salespeople every single day and say, hey, it looks like you just landed a new um, microfinance organization. We'd love to reach out to them and do a case study and then market that case study out to other microfinance organizations that might have an interest in this product line. So there's a lot of stuff that was literally happening every day. And mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the regular communication or cadence, I should say, of communication between myself and the marketing senior marketing leadership team was happening uh, every week. And that was really just to make sure that ourselves and our teams were staying on the same page with a, with a, common, uh, a common belief in how we measure success. Mm -hmm. And I want to jump back to one thing you were saying before, which was you know the importance of understanding and speaking the same language and using the right tools internally. So let's touch on pipeline tools for a minute. What do you use to manage and build your pipeline internally? And who at the company has access to that tool? How do you ensure that the language spoken between sales and marketing is the same? So we, we use a suite of different products um, internally. We use, um, uh, use salesforce.com, which a lot of our reporting comes out of. Uh, we use a lot of marketing automation tools. Uh, we use some sales productivity tools as well so that our outbound prospectors are, um, are getting more information faster for their prospecting efforts so they're not spending three hours a day uh, doing research on who they're calling. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different, in fact, I'm really proud of how much investment our company has placed in creating these tools because I think it's made a massive difference for our business growth over, over the years. Um, but I would say that there's a multitude of tools. All of our reporting really feeds into Salesforce, and that was, that was mm -hmm. the biggest key is to ensure whether marketing was pulling a report or sales was pulling a report, we were pulling those reports from the same place. Uh, sure. And so that there weren't, like I said, that 30 minutes prior to every meeting where it's like, hey, where did you get your data? I, got, I show a different number. Uh, and by right. the way, not only where the data is coming from, but what are we measuring? So there's different, if you think about a waterfall of pipeline, everything from a top of line lead where we get hundreds of thousands of those leads all the way down to, um, you know, a sales qualified opportunity. Marketing is, right. just, me is just measuring uh, and managing the top of the funnel 
Um, somebody, it's so funny, always, people always say, wouldn't you just wish you had a million more leads? And it's like, well, if a million leads gives me one opportunity of a certain type of lead, but 10 leads gives me one opportunity of a different source, I would take right. the 10 because you're not exactly. looking for a needle in a haystack. So how do you, how do you evaluate all that and ensure that your company and your business over time is becoming more efficient in processing that kind of, you know, that quantity mm -hmm. and quality of lead volume. And if mm -hmm. marketing is measuring the top of the line lead count, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. If a million's getting me one or 10's getting me one, and marketing's saying, well, a million is better because we've done better from a top of the a funnel perspective, it actually doesn't really play out for us uh, in the long run. It doesn't really help. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, while we're talking about metrics, you know, this I'm always curious what people think are the the metrics they hold themselves to, particularly on this topic of, you know, what is it that you guys look at there that um, reflects the work and efforts by sales and marketing? So what are the ones you guys bring up in, in your mutual meetings? So we look at um, we look at opportunity count. Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the high level in the pipeline, we look at opportunity count. We look at um, average opportunity size. We look at total pipeline size, so adding all of the opportunities up. Um, and then when you start getting more granular, we look into sales cycle, the length of the sales cycle. We look at the, the uh, close rate. So, you know, of 100 opportunities, how many of those are actually closing? And then we look at yep. the average selling price, the ASP, the average selling price. And then what we can really do is discern from all of that information. We can take all of that back and say, hey, where are we seeing our fastest sales cycles? Where are we seeing our largest deals? Um, and where are we seeing our most improved or favorable close rates? And, and having that information is really helpful in forming back to marketing where, where they should be spending their time and where they should be making their most favorable investments. Uh, and so yep. it's not just about pipeline, it's also about what, what is sales doing with the pipeline and, and how, how are those sales outcomes informing the marketing strategy. And that's where that circle of communication or that cadence of communication is so important. But again, if everybody's looking at the same measurement systems, it's just amazing to see what happens because you get uh, you know, you have two, two pockets of the business that are working really, really well together. The reality is, is it, it really should be seen as one team. Um, and I know that there's a lot of things that we've done to create that. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of times you'll see just sales performance um, shared with the company, right? So it's just a matter of right. how do we do against our bookings goals? How do we do against our revenue goals? And the reality is if we're showing all that, but actually not showing the contribution of marketing, or some of the other sales um, uh, business partners, we're kind of missing the mark. And there's so many great things that other pockets of the business are doing that are so worthy of showcasing. And once you do that, you start creating this totally different environment inside of the company that's really, it's really quite special. Mm -hmm. that, that's uh, super informative. Thank you for that. So uh, I think we've covered pipeline pretty well. I want to move on to pricing which is another hot topic I know among our portfolio companies and I'm sure outside of them as well. But you know, it's a topic we talk about a lot, not just setting pricing, but negotiating pricing and, and you know, 
when in the business should you be focused on land grab versus, uh, you know, when you're going up against competitors, should you concede on price or should you hold on price? So I guess just to kick it off, you know, when you were in the early days at DocuSign, you know, how were you thinking about pricing and pricing negotiations? Yeah, so it's, this is another really great topic, and I think the experience that I have at DocuSign is uh, hopefully will re really be informative to the to the listeners. It again was incredibly uh, it, it evolved over time. So very early on, it was so interesting. I came into a very very structured pricing approach, and everybody wanted to make sure we were evaluating how we were priced. Everything was so structured, and I remember turning that upside down and saying, guys. At this stage, um, without going into too much detail about what our revenues were at the time, but we were so small, it's like, guys, we, we just need to go land customers. We don't even have enough customers to go to the, we can't even do a customer conference. I mean, a customer conference, we might as well just do it at a restaurant. There's not <laughs> enough customers. And so what we really need to do is build a base of people that love what we're doing for them every day. So let's not be, you know, we, we, by the way, we were not a, we weren't a public company. We weren't, so there was a lot of things that I think we could do to test out different pricing models in the marketplace um, and really enable the field or the sales organization to test different models and then report back to our, our marketing and our pricing and packaging teams around what was working. Um, and, and I would tell you that we've had through that process we have been, um, we have learned so much about the different markets that we serve, but I sort of feel like uh, one of the reasons we are as successful as we have become was due to the early days when we said, hey, let's not be overly stringent on pricing or discounting. Let's, let's really focus on customer acquisition and let's make sure that as we're going into various markets that we understand how those markets buy technology. And I really encourage not only my sales team, but our marketing team to do that type of evaluation. Um, and you know, if you're going into a market, I, I remember vividly, we, we started early on selling into a really great marketplace, which is the credit union, uh, the credit union marketplace. And I remember very early on, we had a pricing model and, and there was so much interest from the credit unions on our technology, but for some reason we were having such a hard time um, you know, coming up with how we were planning to price our technology. There's so much confusion and conflict when it came down to, to talking about commercials. And a partner had once said, gosh, you guys are doing it the right way. Have you ever asked the credit union themselves around how they've purchased technology in the past? And I remember it was like everybody in the room just sort of stared at each other like, no, I guess we, I guess we haven't. And it turns out that a lot of times credit unions buy technology based on their assets under, ma under management. So is it is a $50 million credit union? Is it a $100 million, $250 million, $1 billion? Mm -hmm. And based on that asset under management, we just created a flat price point. And it wasn't a number of seats or how many transactions or all these other interesting metrics that ultimately the credit union didn't even know. Only, we were the only ones that were counting that. So we were, we were allowing our own thought process around how people should be thinking about purchasing our technology to get in the way of how we're actually selling it. Mm -hmm. And so what I would, maybe a long-winded answer to your question is, it has evolved. In the early days, we were uh, very lenient on pricing and discounting so that we could, 
we could land, we were, had very, we were very focused on customer count versus just bookings. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would also say we've taken a very specific approach to our industries that we, we, we care to serve um, and understanding how those industries want to buy or consume our technology. And based on that, I think we've really been super successful. Absolutely. I don't know. Hopefully, that answers answers that, your question. Yeah, that's that's. It's been an evolution. Yeah, of course, and you know, just to that point, just to paint the picture, in the early days, you guys are kind of uh, prioritizing customer count over bookings. What was the competitive landscape like at the time? I mean, how often were you going up against one of your competitors versus uh, sort of just trying to? Um, get the, this customer to adopt this new way of, of using DocuSign? Yeah, I mean, it was a, um, in the early days, it was incredibly competitive. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. a lot of these markets are competitive these days. Uh, but I would say uh, it, it, the marketplace being as competitive as it was, was a really healthy thing for us because I think it constantly drove us to reinvent how we were thinking about our sales motion, right. how we were thinking about how we were organizationally designed, um, how we were thinking about our product capability and what our company had as a vision to become right. versus just developing feature after feature. And all of those things not only helped us be successful, but I, I think sort of weaved their way into the competitive fabric of the company that it is today. And I think without having a competitive landscape in the early days, I don't know that we would have been the same company. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, the, and those companies are great. Uh, you know, some of them have been acquired by larger organizations, which uh, I think was was really neat to see. Is it, I, think it, I think it had a lot to do with validating the marketplace that we believe is a true category, mm -hmm. um, um, which is sort of this concept of creating a system of agreement, and we believe that there is a huge marketplace for that. So you see large companies acquiring companies that compete in that space, it's, it's very validating. It's scary because they're bigger companies with a lot of resource, but I think the other side is, is it's validating that we're, we're doing something that's very, very special, and the largest organizations on the planet are validating that. So uh, I, I would say that the landscape was complex, it was highly competitive. Uh, all of the other competitors at the time were also fairly small, so there, there weren't any that had, all of them were, a lot of the competition was on price, a lot of the competition was based on um, uh, feature capability, you know, mm -hmm. people use Salesforce and they were looking to integrate the technology into Salesforce, yep. they would pound on both integrations to see which one was stronger. So it was very much product and feature oriented and very much price oriented. Mm -hmm. That, that actually leads me to our next question, which is sort of a, a combination of pricing and product. But, you know, again, you know, for a lot of our seed stage companies, they're still developing the product, as I'm sure you guys were in the early days when you started selling. Um, you know, so look, you're, you're trying to sell and you're, you're trying to close customers at the same time. A lot of your product features may not be up to speed yet. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how did your pricing strategy and product work together? Well, we were really careful, um, and, and by the way, always have been really careful about not selling things that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. um, That's always and, a hot Or time. selling something that was, it, it is, and, and by the way, I don't, you know, some people say that it's, you know, you, that it's not a, a good thing to do that, and I think that there's an element where I think it creates a little bit of, um, and myself and the head of product, 
there'd be a conversation around, hey, this, this mm -hmm. is a company, it's a significant opportunity for us. They're looking to have an integration into, you know, another proprietary database where they want to house documents or whatever it is. We need to have an integration built. And if we don't, they're going to go somewhere else. And I think that communication comes back around uh, specifically to, hey, are we solving a specific company problem? Uh, or is there something more broadly here that we can look at accomplishing? feature or a specific integration capability that was required to go win a deal. And rather than just selling it, I mean, it sort of goes back to that teaming aspect, which is mm -hmm. bring in product and make sure that they're aware of what conceptually you're trying to do. And if they're on board and we can bake it into a roadmap and they feel comfortable with the specs, then to go ahead and move forward. I think the other thing it allows the company to do is say, hey, this one organization is looking to have an integration that looks like this. By the way, is, it, is this a one-off ask? This is one company in the world that needs this? Or if we do this work, do we believe we can capture more value with more customers and prospects over time? And I think the cool thing is, is that, that that communication cadence um, creates trust uh, and, and a better relationship between the sales or go-to-market teams and the product team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I wanted to dig in on that specifically. Are How what is the communication strategy you guys have or had at the early days in terms of communicating product feature requests back to the product team and them and working with you to actually prioritize all these requests? Well, there was a formal, uh, formal method, and then we had sort of a less formal method. The mm -hmm. formal method was um, we, had, we would have a meeting once a month where we would do sort of a red, yellow, green, uh, status update on all the things that were being added in. Mm -hmm. We would look at the timeline to, or estimated timeline to complete some of these things. How much it would cost us to complete, usually specific around dev, you know, development heads or engineering heads. Um, and then what would be the bookings uh, implications? So are we, are we dedicating 10 heads to something that would book something very small? Right. So then that would automatically deprioritize that as something we're looking is it a near-term, in-quarter thing where we have a huge opportunity and they need a feature? Those conversations happen every every month, and we would sit down together as a leadership team and prioritize those items. The informal way uh, happened to be at the at the at the bar down the street uh, on Friday <laughs> afternoons, where uh, you know our engineering team would be there and our sales team would be there, and you know as passionate as both of those groups are around what we're building things would come up around what people would want. And in the early days, um, there, there wasn't a lot of governors around what was built for whom and by when and what the actual investment profile to build those specific technologies out uh, look like. And, and by the way, there's something really fun about that. Yeah. But as you grow up, you, you, you've got to put some, some fences around how you're taking advantage of incredible uh, engineering resources. Absolutely. Now, do you guys have, a, you've, sort of maintained that structure and meeting cadence, uh, do you do that today as well? Oh, uh, we do. We have um, uh, something called an SMPI meeting. So it's a sales, marketing, and product interlock meeting where um, th this whole group gets together and we look at all of the uh, marketing priorities uh, and make sure that they're aligned to what everybody. So it's just a great way for everybody to come together, the leadership team to come together and evaluate all these things to make sure that we're on the same page. Product does the same mm -hmm. thing, by the way. Uh, engineering does the same thing. Uh, 
Um, and sales does the same thing. There's always an opportunity for sales to talk about how we're going to market, where we believe there's new opportunity. And, you know, say we're going to get ready to go into the federal marketplace, the federal government. And if we go to do that and, and the marketing and business development and product teams are unaware that we're doing that, I mean, there's huge product implications for selling into the public, uh, public sector. Um, and if you're doing that alone, you're just not going to be successful. So this creates a very great uh, communication channel and avenue for, for all the groups to come together and make sure all, pro uh, all the priorities are aligned and appropriate. And in line with what I think the company's vision and mission are, which I think is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so this this whole discussion brings me to one final question, which is really, you know, in light of the pipeline, the product, pricing, all these topics which we've discussed, how do you, as the head of sales, properly manage the expectations of your management team uh, throughout throughout the life cycle? The last 10 years you've been there, I mean, from early days to now, what's been your strategy for that? Managing expectations, specifically to what, what types of expectations? So, for example, around um, the pricing in the early days as you guys were um, thinking about sort of prioritizing more around customers than you were around bookings. And how did you communicate that and get the management team on board such that you weren't being held to, you know, a bookings number that you knew you weren't going to hit? You know, I think it comes back to um, uh, just having a solid cadence of ensuring that everybody's on the same page all the time. And I think we do that. Um, uh, I think we actually do that really well. And it was a lot easier again, it's a lot easier to do when you're a smaller company because you can walk down the hallway and have right. the conversation and you're, and you're trying to get four sales reps to understand that in these circumstances, you could do these certain discounts. Mm -hmm. That's just an email away. Right. Um, with 600 people serving a bunch of different verticals, a bunch of different industries and a bunch of different size organizations. I mean, we serve companies that are 10 people mm -hmm. and we serve all the way up to the fortune 500. Um, and so understanding the implications of saying, hey, it's okay, we could do a certain discount level. It, well, you don't mess, you gotta be really careful that we're not you know, offering different discounts to different people. There has to be a level of consistency around it. So I think what, what, what's, what's happened, I think, inside of DocuSign over the last nine to 10 years is creating a much more programmatic approach and partnership with our product and packaging team that's really informed by the sales team. And I think that's the key. It's so interesting to see how many organizations have marketing that are driving the product and package. And where you really miss out is that the field team and the, and, the, and the customer and prospect, they know the best around how to actually price and package your offerings in ways that are much easier to consume. And I, I think that's a lot of times where that breakdown happens. The, the, a lot of times organizations feel that marketing um, should really drive the pricing and packaging and I actually think they should probably be the owner of it mm -hmm. but the faster they get the field involved to include customers and prospects and partners they're the ones that are closest to how to, closest to the buy side so if you could better understand how organizations and people think about selling their products and sort of similar to the credit union example the closer you get to the buy side Sure. The better and more informed you can be around how you're how you're organizing your your, your offerings in a more meaningful and purposeful way. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, Lauren, this, this conversation has been excellent. And I just, if, I, if you have any final thoughts or tips for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the one thing I would leave you with is, is uh, you know, my, my, my time at DocuSign has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And I think uh, so many people focus on the outcomes and, you know, smaller technology companies Sometimes those outcomes are, you know, companies getting purchased or companies having an IPO or companies, whatever that is, this piece of advice, um, having had nine to 10 years of seeing a company from 17 employees to, to 21, 2200 employees is so many people get focused on the outcomes and, you know, trying to get to a certain number, trying to get to, you know, to sell the company, trying to get to an IPO, trying whatever that outcome is. And so many people mm-hmm. don't appreciate the ride. And so my biggest piece of advice is just when, you, when you're when you a smaller company and you're growing, enjoy that growth and enjoy those moments because organizations change, not necessarily for the worst, by the way, they just change. And, and right. in that moment, that company, if it's growing, will never feel that way again. And so just just take advantage and enjoy the moment and the and the people that help to create that moment. It's just it's a very special uh, so many great relationships and bonds and learnings come from that. Um, and it's very easy to get very focused on sort of what's the outcome and what are we driving towards. And my uh, my advice is to slow down, look out the window and enjoy the views along the way. Yeah, I love that. Good words to live by. Yeah. All right, Lauren. Well, thank you again so much for for coming on today and sharing some of your experiences. I know that uh, some of these tips and and tactical advice that you have for the audience will be will be incredibly appreciated. So, thank you again. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.